Hi everyone, this is Maxine Ryan with Prosper Podcast and today's guest is Austin Hankwitz who is an influencer on many popular social platforms like TikTok, YouTube and Prosper. Austin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Maxine. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. So, you know, for those who don't know, why don't you share a little bit about how you got your start as a personal finance guru? Yeah, for sure. So let's sort of take a step back to a little bit more about me, and then I'll walk through how this whole journey over the last 12 months transpired, right? So um, my birthday was actually on Monday, so just turned 25, but I graduated from the University of Tennessee with a degree in finance and economics back in 2018. I took that degree and I started working on doing M&A for a publicly traded healthcare company. Uh, So that was mergers and acquisitions, some investor relations, strategic projects, stuff like that. Um, and, and actually I started spending a lot of time on YouTube, seeing the really fun people like Andre Jick and Graham Stephan and like that personal finance type of, you know, just people, I guess, influencers over there. And I was like, you know what? I really like this stuff. I feel like I could get in front of the camera and talk about it too. Well, I was totally mistaken. That, that just was, it was, it was a lot harder than I thought, right? First off, I mean, some of the, this production quality equipment that these people use are insane. I wasn't good at video editing, right? I was still working full time over at Ameticis, the, the company. Um, and so I just didn't have time to spend you know, 20, 30, 40 hours a week figuring out filming and lighting and scripting and graph. I just, I just didn't have the time. And so then I realized, okay, what can I do? What platform can I publish on or record with that maybe everyone is sort of on the same playing field, right? Maybe, you know, we're like, like how on Snapchat, everyone's Snapchats look the same because we're all filming it on our iPhones, right? At the time I had an iPhone 8. What platform is, is what, you know, that everyone's using? That's TikTok. And so, you know, TikTok was starting to grow in popularity as it related to the pandemic and just being from home all the time. And so I said, okay, let me just pick up my phone, talk about something that's uh, meaningful to me, which was dividend investing and passive income and sort of laying that brick for the future, right? Um, as it relates to personal finance and investing. And so uh, I made a video talking about one of my favorite dividend uh, paying uh, ETFs, SPHD, which is the top paying, I guess, top dividend yielding um, stocks inside the S&P 500. Made a video explaining what that looked like, what that could turn into if you invest consistently month to month for the next couple of years and what that, it was just that entire process. Got a couple million views, I'm sorry, a million views in a couple of days and the rest was history, right? And so then I was like, okay, well, what am I going to do now? Um, so I ended up just making more content, making a Patreon account, started working with some really cool brands like Betterment and Public and obviously like yourself, love what Prosper is doing uh, and just really excited to continue to bring and shed light towards closing the wealth gap as it relates to anyone in, in, in the world, right? Because I think having one specific instance here, like there's not much we can do for the income gap. I think a lot of it has to do with experience and education and just opportunities, but the wealth gap, that's a low hanging fruit, right? Just let's get everyone investing. Let's get everyone talking about investing. And, and that to me is what I've been able to try and begin doing through TikTok. Yeah, I think it's just a incredible like change and transition in how people are learning about personal finance. And it's just really great having people like you that are just kind of like making complex topics easier for people. I think that finance can be kind of daunting and just being able to explain it in less than 60 seconds in a fun and engaging way is so important. And you can really see the big changes that people are making in their lives when they kind of see, oh, like this person is doing it too. That means that I can do it as well. I love that. Um, So, you know, like a lot of people that I've been speaking to, they always explain this aha moment where they're just like, 
something clicks. We're just like, oh, well, if I invest, that means like future me is going to be like, you know, taken care of. You know, what was your aha moment that drove you to pursue knowledge about personal finance and investing? So it was more of a, a longer sort of just moment, but long story short was the, the recession that happened in 2008. So that really impacted um, my family. I had to move across the country. My dad had to go get another job and just a lot of you know, traumatic stuff happening onto a 13-year-old Austin, 12-year-old Austin, right? And so all those things happened because my dad, you know, shout out to my dad, he's great, but the guy could, I guess, could have been better with his finances and, or just, I guess, more responsible, right? And so that's what triggered that sort of aha moment for me. It's like, okay, I want to make sure I'm doing everything possible that this doesn't happen to me when I'm his age, or that this doesn't happen to my kids at any other time when, when I'm older and, and I sort of, you know, have that responsibility. Um, and so that's, you know, what started this. And then I also had Dave Ramsey come to my high school and tell us about the baby steps back when I think when I was maybe like 15 or 16 years old. So that was really like what ignited the fire. And like, let's learn more about this. Right. So my parents bought me some Dave Ramsey books. And then I took that to college and began studying finance and economics. And then now we are, now we're here. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. Cause I feel like Dave, uh, Dave Ramsey was the first person who made these steps to personal finance easy. And it wasn't about kind of like speculation or getting rich quick. He was kind of like laying out, as you said, the baby steps to how to do this. And I think it's actually quite a lot of common sense, but there's just so much noise in the space. It's hard to think about it that way. Um, so, you know, I totally agree. I and I think, you know, on top of that with, with, with Dave Ramsey, there's a lot of, I guess there's, there's two types of people, right? There's on one side, and this is the vast majority of people. It's just common sense, personal finance and investing, right? Common sense. We should be putting away 15% of our take-home pay. Common sense. We should pay down our debts, right? Common sense. We should have a retirement or you know, have that 529 account. But then on the other side, when you, if you have the degree in finance, or maybe you're in accounting or economics, so you get that. The other side of the spectrum is like, okay, let's, let's look into understand what drives a stock price higher? What are revenues and earnings per share? Or maybe what, what is an EBITDA multiple? What, what are those specific things? I think what's interesting in, in TikTok as well as other companies and other just sort of trends that we've, we've seen, especially on Twitter recently, have begun to sort of merge the two or, or be, you know, people begin to move away just from like, okay, I understand what personal finance, you know, personal finance and investing looks like. But now this guy over here is explaining that growing revenue and growing profit on that revenue can make the stock price go up. That's pretty interesting. I want to learn a bit more about that. Oh, that, that company is now um, competing with, with another company and that company is doing better. Maybe I should begin thinking about investing that one instead. Like, let me start comparing the two of them, right? And so like, what's interesting is I think Dave opened the door to a lot of just getting as many people possible thinking about these things. But then, you know, it's sort of like, like that, like the gateway drug, right? It's like, let's start this one thing and then we jump over somewhere else. Um, I think Dave did an incredible job doing that and shout out, like it's, he's, he's an awesome educator, but then now with, with the rise of, of, you know, information is free on the internet and, and digestible ways. And people are, you know, creating content about it in, in a compelling and interesting fashion. A lot more people are now able to understand what goes on beyond just invest toward retirement, right. Yeah. Or, or have something for a college or pay down debt. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And I think it's like, it's, it's interesting because as you said, there was this massive foundation being built, but people are kind of like, well, this isn't really that exciting. You know, what's next? Like we keep on hearing yeah, different exactly. stories of like 100%. people investing. So I think like Dave Ramsey was really great because I think the majority of his audience was focused on paying down debt and mm -hmm. like, you know, and then from there, 
you have like so much uh, ways to go to then go into retirement. So I think yeah. like he was talking to an audience that the, I guess, like financial environment that they were in, which is mostly like older millennials were sure. vastly different to like what we see now, which is, you know, young millennials and uh, yeah, older uh, Gen Z kind of like seeking different ways. And um, yeah, like I just love that there's people such as yourself making these complex um yeah, complex topics really easy. So, you know, when you were approaching investing for first time, how did you break up your understanding of the market? Because like, as you just said, you can look at the market and see these different aspects, but it's hard to understand. Like, how did you kind of like categorize your understanding of it? So in the beginning, um, I didn't really have categories. It was like, oh, what stocks am I going to buy to make a lot of money? Right. Yeah. And, you know, that was back in what I was probably... 14, 15, 16, 17 years old, still trying to figure it all out. But now I've, I've begun to categorize it into sort of, I guess, two, maybe three different categories. One of them is uh, your core investments, right? These are the companies like Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, Facebook, uh, Walmart, you know, really, really good companies that have been around for decades, pay dividends, you know, heavy cash flows, everything's great. Then you have your more speculative ideas, which are not so much gambles, I wouldn't say, but you know they're emerging markets. Maybe that's the DocuSigns or the Data Dogs or maybe uh, Palantir, right? Really cool companies that have a, you know a very good products and, and are operating in really good secular growth trends. But they're also not like they haven't been around as long as Walmart, right? They're not on Amazon's level. And then you know more recently, I began to think about like even more speculative beyond that, which are more of like the sort of SPACs, maybe uh, really emerging markets like EVs or like buy now, pay later with a firm, companies like that. Um, but back then, you know, it was just like, let's figure out how to even start. But now it's begun. Let's have our core investments. We have like little satellites on top of that, which are the, the more speculative ones. And then, and then on top of that, I guess, a little subcategory inside of those satellites or those really speculative SPACs or hot new IPOs or even cryptocurrency, maybe if you think about it. Yeah, so that's actually a really good segue into the idea of diversification, right? So mm -hmm. um, what do you feel about diversification? Do you diversify within your own portfolio? Do you have like a percentage amount that you, as you said, like you put into like core uh, stocks yeah. that you know have a lot of longevity? Can you go into a little bit about that? Yeah, of course. So um, generally speaking, I guess I try and have the majority, so 50, 55, 60% of my portfolio inside of these core companies. One of my, my biggest holding is Amazon. I just, I love what they're doing. And it's a cash machine. <laughs> exactly. Right. It's insane. So, you know, it, companies like Amazon make up a majority of my portfolio. Um, and then I'd, I'd want to say the other 10 to 15% are more of these speculative uh, stocks. If that's, you know, your Palantirs or maybe your uh, DocuSigns, Datadogs, Twilio, stuff like that. Um, but then also more recently, and this is just on a lot of luck, but you know, the rise of Bitcoin and Ethereum and Chainlink, I've, I've seen as a percent of my total portfolio without adding more money to it, it has grown tremendously. So um, I maybe should, should start sort of dialing back my crypto investments, but I think cryptocurrency definitely has its place within a well-diversified portfolio of five, 10, maybe 15% if you're being a bit yeah. aggressive. It's like um, a part of the modern portfolio now. Yeah, most yeah. definitely it is. And then I'd also argue too, like real estate investing, right? So if that's REITs specifically, or for me personally, I use a company called Fundrise, they do e-REITs. So uh, that makes up probably about two to 5% of my portfolio. Um, and then also I've, I've, I've seen some really interesting things around the collectibles market. 
right? So that's, uh, I've, I've recently started uh, getting into like, like Pokemon cards and stuff like that. Yeah. that. You might see on, on Rally Road or even artwork that you might see on a company like Masterworks. And so I'd say that's probably another five or 10% of my portfolio, but obviously the vast majority is equities. Um, with cryptocurrency coming in second, and then some of those real estate alternative asset investing coming in third, fourth, and fifth. That's great. Um, so, you know, like you earlier on told us a story about your dad and like that really encouraged you to kind of take care of your own personal finances and like, mm-hmm. you know, explore investing. Um, I think right now, you know, we are in like a bull market and, yeah. you know, it's dipping a little bit right now, but what would be your, you know, your take on if the market kind of like goes down, like how should people kind of weather that storm? I think that people need to have a long-term perspective on what they want for themselves as it relates to retirement, right? So like at the end of the day, or even before you start investing, you should say, okay, what do I want? And for me personally, like what that looks like is so much passive income or portfolio income that it pays for my monthly or annual expenses, right? Right now I'm 25. And so those are relatively low around three or $4,000 a month. But I mean, that only equates to 35, 45, maybe $50,000 a year in passive or portfolio income. And so I have a very clear path on how long it's going to take me to get there. If I invest very specific amounts of money over the course of, you know, on, on a consistent basis over the course of many years. One, everyone should do that because it gives you sort of a perspective, not so much of, okay, the market's going up, the market's going down. What's it going to do tomorrow? What's it going to do next week? It's like, well, no matter what the market's doing right now, tomorrow or whatever, it doesn't matter because I don't need it for another 15 years. And I know if, as long as the last 90 years, which is, you know, annual returns of seven and a half to 9% for the S&P, as long as the last 90 years is some sort of indicator of what the next 15, 20 years will look like, I think we'll be okay. And so I really encourage people to take a step back and instead of saying, okay, I'm down 12% uh, on you know, year to date, or maybe I'm, I'm down $400. So like that, that, that doesn't matter right now. What you should be doing is, is consistently investing in the stock market into companies you understand, right? A good example of this is, you know, whenever people say, Hey, Austin, what stocks do I buy? Should I go buy this penny stock or this biotech company or this Chinese company? I say, what? No. You, okay. First, can you even pronounce that company's name? Cause like that would be interesting. <laughs> Uh, I always say, well, what, like, take, take a look around you. What, what, where do you go shopping? Is it Target? Is it Walmart? Those are publicly traded companies. What subscription services do you have? Is that Netflix? Is that Spotify? Both companies. Who, who do you use to, to transact in that uh, dollar amount, right? Is that Visa, MasterCard, Amex? All different companies you can invest in, right? And so you should be investing into companies you understand, companies you use, and companies that will have, continu- have been around and will continue to be around for a long period of time. So you can begin executing on this 10, 15, 30 year plan to retire at some age, right? Uh, and t- to give you a, a better perspective as it relates to short-term volatility. Um, it's, it's, it's funny, I think Warren Buffett's like go-to thing to say is like the, um, maybe it's not, maybe it's Benjamin Graham, but one of these geniuses says like, you know, the, the stock market is nothing um, but taking money away from inpatient people and giving it to the patient right? Yeah. It's this mechanism where it like transfers wealth from people who are consistently worried and trying to buy and sell and buy and sell to people that have a long-term plan, know where they're going, know what has got other people there in the past, if that's an index, if that's a specific stock or an industry itself, and are consistently leaning into what that looks like and forgetting 
the news, forgetting the, the blah, blah, blah that goes on on CNBC or maybe the Wall Street Journal or, you know, I just saw Tesla is not accepting Bitcoin. Oh, no, I like yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Right. And so uh, that's, I guess, what I'm leaning into the most right now is people ask me, what do I do with my stock short term? It's like, well, what were you going to do long term? Right. That, yeah. That's the real question. Yeah, I, I think that um, those are really excellent points. Um, and I think like at the moment, people find it quite hard to think long term. And that's actually a skill that has to be developed over time. Um, but, you know, you were talking about kind of like the different types of stocks out there and how you can profit from them. Can you go into, um, you know, there's like buying and selling the stock, but can you go into like, you know, dividends, growth stocks, et cetera? Yeah, sure. Um, I can certainly try to. So <laughs> let me think. Um, you can I do guess it. it really, yeah, I guess it really comes <laughs> down to like, the three different sort of categories. Um, this is, I guess, how I try and explain things to, to people that are new to investing in the different types of stocks, right? So on one side of things, you have the very old companies. Let's say the Johnson & Johnsons, the Procter & Gamble's. These companies have been around for decades, decades, decades. They sell very non-innovative products, if that's Tylenol, if that's body wash, if that's you know baby shampoo. But they sell these products that are just uh, consumer durables, consumer goods, and they're not reinventing the wheel by any means, but they have very good products have a good product line and they've been around and, and they're good cash flowing businesses. These businesses are normally the ones that pay dividends and grow their dividends on an annualized basis, um, just like Procter, Procter & Gamble and Johnson & Johnson have done, right? So that's maybe one category. On the far other side of the spectrum there, are the companies that are into like the, you know, the more growth tech stock type companies, right? These are your DocuSigns. These might be your Teladocs or maybe your Zooms. These are the companies that are on you know, the, the cutting edge of technology, the innovation. They say, we are going to grow and, and take over the world as it relates to our product, our service, whatever's going to happen here. And because you own equity in our company as a shareholder, you will get to see the upside. And as the entire value of our company increases because increased revenue or, or potentially profits in the future, assuming a lot of these companies do operate at a loss. Um, but so, so we go from very old, boring companies that pay cash dividends because they have so much money left over at the end of the year. And they know the stock price isn't going to go up crazy because they're not in, reinventing the wheel. They pay those profits out to shareholders. We're on the other side. We now have these growth stocks who don't, they don't think it's a good idea to take the cash that they make and pay it to shareholders. They would rather reinvest into their company. Uh, they, they'd rather invent something new. They'd rather, you know, the Tesla, a really good example is Tesla, right? He's like, I don't want to pay cash out. I want to go create a new model Y or a new model, whatever the next one's going to be. And then in the middle, I think you have these interesting like unicorns, right? The Apples, the Microsofts, the Visas, the MasterCards that are also innovating. They're incredible companies, but they're also paying out a dividend. You know, Apple, for example, I mean, it's app. I would, if they're not the largest company, they're top three in the world, right? Everyone uses their products. Um, it's 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 a company that is taken over a specific industry in such a way that was quick and fast, but is also continuing to sustain itself enough where they can predict cash payments out. And so, not a lot of those companies exist, in my opinion. You, know, you do have your Apple, your Microsoft, as well as you know Visa and Mastercard, and I guess a couple others. Uh, in that sort of unicorn um, bubble there. But uh, that's how I'd start to begin to break down the, the different companies there. Yeah, I think that's a great way to break it down. And, you know, when you're saying that, like people can profit from um, dividends being paid out by, you know, mm -hmm. these larger, more established stocks, 
and we have the growth stocks on the other side, would you say that people would be buying and selling those types of stocks? Or do you just kind of like long hold it? Because if it's not paying out dividend and it's just kind of appreciating value, would you at some point sell it? I think, I think yes. So mm-hmm. on one side of the, of the aisle, you've got the you know, Procter & Gamble and Johnson & Johnson that's paying you uh, consistently. And that's because maybe you like the income or you just underuse the product. But then with those growth stocks, I think it's more of a, you got to keep tabs on them, right? It is a very innovative industry that they, that they might be operating in, or maybe they're a very uh, new company. Um, and, and like, I think a really good example, of this is a firm, their stock price is down like 50% year to date, which sucks for me because I bought around like 80, 90 bucks. But what's interesting is they're operating in this buy now, pay later industry, yeah. which according to I think like Bank of America, it's going to 4X three or four X in size by 2024, right? So if a firm is continually able to, on a quarterly basis, to grow market share within this industry, I know they have this really cool exclusive partnership with Shopify as well as uh, Walmart, and they, they acquired um, Returnly and this other company from Canada. So like they're doing some really cool things in that, but I think it's always a good idea to keep tabs on the earnings calls, listen in on what they have to say as it relates to um, their strategic efforts or the, the, the levers that they might be pulling to try and propel their, their company further in the future. Um, but definitely like, you know, it's hard to say like, when do you buy, when do you sell a stock? Yeah. Right. And, and I think, I mean, at the end of the day, like, why are we investing? I don't know why you invest. I invest to make money and I'm not going to make that money unless I'm able to sell that stock eventually. And so having that mindset of always listening on a quarterly basis, understand where this company is going, keep tabs on them um, and, and be prepared, never get married, right? Be prepared to sell uh, mm-hmm. is, is smart. I mean, I think what's interesting about that too, though, is on the flip side, you don't really have to keep tabs on Amazon or, or these larger, more established companies, um, which I think is wise, especially with maybe millennials or, or as a Gen X, the you know, people like in their 30s, 40s, and 50s. Um, they like these more older companies better because they know they'll be around in 10 years. They'll be just fine. Right. Everything's they have to like open up their iPhone and, you know, read their most recent reports where us, I'm, I'm a, I guess on the older side of Gen Z being 25 um, or maybe younger millennial, who knows, but I'm, I want to read those reports. Right. I want to know what a firm's doing. I want to know that they grew their revenue by 67%. Like, tell me more. Like, I think that's really interesting. And I think what is cool too, about how um, TikTok sort of creates the ability for people to get, I guess, have, uh, be entertained by that stuff, right? Like I go, I break through an earnings call with Peloton or, or maybe Upstart, for example, people love it. People want to know why Peloton got recalled or why their, you know, revenue has increased so much or what that looks like. Yeah, that's great. Um, so, you know, this is really interesting, uh, when you talk about like your research approach, can you kind of I guess, divulge a little bit about when you're interested in a stock and how you go from that to investing in it. Sure. Um, I think I, so I'm actually very, I wouldn't say that I'm just like jumping into everything. There's a lot of things I don't understand. Uh, Biotech is a a really good example of that. Um, Electric vehicles is another good example of that. I don't really understand what that looks like, right? So what I, what I do understand though are, for example, um, companies that I use, right? So DocuSign's a really good example of this. And so it comes that back back to the, well, let's look around and see what we're using, how we interact with companies in real life and try and figure out if other people at scale are interacting with these companies the same way we do. 
And if that's the case, then maybe it's a good idea to invest in that company, assuming that that will continue to happen worldwide. So, a, you know, a good example, that's DocuSign. Um, I, I held stock in DocuSign because I use DocuSign at my work. Um, they're, they're doing a lot of cool stuff with blockchain as it relates to smart contracts. I'm very familiar uh, with, with, with all that sort of realm, and I, as I think you are too. And, um, and so I was like, this is really cool. I want to learn more about this company. And so then I jump into their investor relations. I, I look at maybe the most recent uh, presentation. I hop over to Seeking Alpha and read through their uh, most recent transcript as it relates to their earnings call, the Q&A action. I'm really trying to understand maybe their guidance and sort of the industry they're disrupting. But all of it stems back from, I use the service. I yeah. use the company. I know what it is. My friends use it. It's easy to, it's, it's scalable. I love that. And so, yeah, the process you know, it starts with me using it. I then get a little bit of information from the investor relations website, read a transcript or two, try to have a better understanding of what's going on with the company and then jump right in. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, so do you see that there's a difference between how young millennials or like, I guess like younger generations are approaching investing versus the older, older generation? I think, um, I think we'll see, and I think we'll actually, I think we'll continue to see, um, that younger, the younger generation wants to learn more. I think the older generation, and I could be wrong when saying this and I hope I don't offend anybody, but they might not be hot on the internet or, or smartphones or technology or things like that in general. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. My, my mom uses an iPhone, but I, if, if I asked her to open up an app or, or you know do something like that, it'd be yeah. a little bit different. Um, but I, I think what people my age and people in their you know, 20s, 30s, and maybe even 40s want to do is they have the ability to, to hop up on Google and be critical thinkers and understand where can I find information about DocuSign? Where can I find more information about Spotify and how people are using it and how people are going viral on top of Spotify and how that impacts their revenue, right? I just think people my age, the younger generation in general, are more keen to research and leveraging different types of um social networks or maybe different mediums that might be to understand what a company could be doing and just leveraging that experience to investing or just, just learning more. Um, but I think a lot of people my age are just want more information. You know, information is free. If that's Google, if that's uh, on Reddit, people are always sharing their experiences all over the internet. People know how to use that now my age versus 40, 50, 60 year olds might not. Yeah. That's a great point. Um, so what's in your toolbox, right? Like, you know, everybody has their go-to website. Everybody has the go-to like place that they trade. What's in your toolbox of trading? Yeah, for sure. Um, so my go-to is Seeking Alpha. I think Seeking Alpha is a really cool platform. Um, I think I pay like the, what, $29 or $39 a month to have the ability to see the last 10 years of financial for the company and all the, uh, the, the transcripts. And they always repost the, the earnings presentation. So whenever I'm saying, you know, someone says, hey, Austin, what do you think about this? And mm -hmm. so the first thing I do, I jump to Seeking Alpha. Uh, I promise they're not paying me to say this. I jump <laughs> to Seeking Alpha's website. I type in uh, the, the company ticker. And the first thing I do, actually, I think what's interesting, the first thing I do is I look at the market cap. I really try and stay away from companies that are under you know, five or $10 billion. The next thing I look at is the stock price. If it's not generally trending with the you know, you know, S&P 500, why? Right, that's going to be mm -hmm. sort of a red flag. Next, I look at the financials. We want to see growing revenue over the last five, 10 years, depending on how old the company is, what that revenue growth rate looks like. Is that accelerating? Is that decelerating? Why or why not? What those operating margins might look like. Um, are those expanding? Are they contracting? Uh, is the company profitable? Things like that is all within Seeking Alpha's um, you know, sort of financial breakdown there. But Seeking Alpha is my go-to. And then as it relates to 
just general information. I, I, I think I, I read a lot of Wall Street Journal, right? I read a lot of CNBC just like anyone else would. But um, I, I think what's different from me and maybe some more, I just don't trade. I'm not like a day trader or a swing trader. I'm really like, hey, guys, I think this company could be worth a lot more in the next nine to 18 months. I've done a lot of research by leveraging Seeking Alpha's tools and their investor relations website. And I've read through a lot of cool things on their 10Q. Um, I'm going to buy some stock over the next five weeks. Hopefully I can have a really cool dollar cost averaged amount. And let's just cross our fingers and, and see if we're right. Uh, so maybe some people use, you know, uh, think or swim or have the trading view. What is it? Moving averages and the yeah. lines. And I'm not really into that. I just try and better understand the fundamentals of what a company looks like. Is it undervalued? Is it overvalued? And what are my odds of, of being correct? So Austin, are there any um, services or products out there that you think are changing the game in investing? I do. So I think there's a couple with the main one being my friend, Justin O. Uh, he also lives here in Nashville with me. Uh, we met on TikTok, but he's created a really cool website platform company called A Couple Cents, a couplecents.com. Where so Justin has a background uh, as as a hedge fund analyst. He's done a lot of really cool work on Wall Street. A lot of fun friends that still work there, and so he's got you know his user experience, his, his knowledge, and his band together with a couple of friends over there to create sort of a platform, a website where he's able to just give his hot takes, share what he thinks about an earnings call host a live stream where he talks about inflation, the, you know, the consumer, uh, you know, the CPI, right? We're talking about the housing market, share his experience as I'm sure an almost 30 year old millionaire now, um, uh, just, just with the public. And I think uh, that's an incredibly undervalued resource first off, but as it relates to more um, apps and, and companies like that, you know, public and Robinhood, as much as we might not like Robinhood or, or despise, you know, sort of like the, you know, have be, be very married to a specific broker, I think that both of those companies have done an incredible job bringing a lot of awareness to personal finance and investing. That reminds me too, there's one more. I'm not sure if you've heard of this. I'd be very curious if you have. It's called Griffin. And what they do is yeah. it syncs up. Yeah, so they have an app you download on your phone. Uh, it syncs up with your bank account and your credit card. And so every time you spend money on a credit card or a debit card, or just spend money in general, the app figures out what company you bought that from. They say, okay, are they publicly traded? Yes, no. If yes, we'll, we'll, we're going to take a dollar out of your bank account and invest it into their stock. And so what happens now are, are people that were before maybe shopping at Starbucks once or twice a week, or maybe for me personally, I have a Netflix, Netflix subscription. Um, now I'm able to say, okay, every time I shop at Starbucks, not only am I consuming the product, but I'm also a shareholder in the company, right? I'm not just a consumer, I'm an owner. And I was able to, to meet with the CEO a couple months ago, and I'm really excited to see what that company turns into. Yeah, I saw that company emerge. And I think it was something on Twitter where somebody was like, oh, somebody should create an app that, you know, buys uh, stocks for you passively as you buy something of that company. Yeah. And then somebody was like, oh, yeah, this is like, you know, the new startup that's around. And yeah, they're, they're doing incredible stuff. And I really love that they're kind of, you know, leaning into this like passive and uh, sorry, not passive aggressive, <laughs> passive <laughs> investing. investing. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, passive investing. Um, so, you know, what what's next for you? Oh, gosh. Well, I think so. Right now, what I'm trying to lean into, Maxine, is, is I think what's happening is, is with the rise of TikTok, the rise of Twitter and LinkedIn and YouTube and Instagram, like there's a lot of really interesting ways that people can begin to create content. If that's personal finance and investing, if that's fitness, if it's cooking, if that's washing your car, if that's making strawberry jam everybody 
is a content creator, everyone has some unique characteristic about them that they can share to the world. And I've partnered with some really fun people to begin figuring out how we can help those people go from zero to one as it relates to monetizing those, that content, right? So um, for example, Shopify back in like 2011, 2012, instead of having a mom and pop shop on Main Street, say, let me get a WordPress, let me get a Stripe, let me get a MailChimp API, let me now get a shipping so I can uh, sort of distribute and, and deliver all these goods that are placed on my e-commerce website. Shopify bundled that to one thing. And then they said, okay, it's very easy. Just create an account with us and we'll do all that for you. Yeah. And so what I've done is as I've helped my friend, John, create a website called standwith.me or like stand with me. Um, and, and he's going through the process right now of, of raising some money for that. But what happens is the whole premise is we want people to, to go from zero to one as it relates to monetization as a creator without decaying the relationship between them and their audience by selling ads or affiliate marketing. Or, I mean, I don't think anyone wants to sell merch anymore. I'm not, no offense, Maxine, I'm not going to buy a t-shirt with your name on it, right? I don't think anyone's <laughs> going to buy a t-shirt with my face on it. And so but what, what people do, do might want to buy or be interested in is maybe a cameo shout out. Maybe that's a digital download, like an ebook, or maybe a live stream, an exclusive live stream that we can have together where we talk about what our favorite stocks are and maybe why the stock market's up or down today. And so just equipping creators with those tools and resources to create better content, have better relationships with their audience, as well as monetize that in a way that doesn't feel slimy or irresponsible, yeah. um, I, I think is huge. And so I just, that's what I'm working on right now. I'm trying to make sure that not just me as a finance creator who was able to do this for a year and then quit his awesome job to do this full time. Like, I feel like I'm an anomaly, but I want everyone to become this anomaly, right? I want everyone to have the tools and resources to own their audience in any way that seems responsible, uh, but also in, you know, empowering. Yeah, I, I love that. Like, I think one thing that creators are realizing is just how much value they provide for platforms, but how little they actually own their audience. Um, so, you know, what you're building is great. So what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Sure. Uh, obviously, you know, follow me on TikTok at Austin Hankwitz. Um, I'm on Twitter at Austin Hankwitz and on Instagram <laughs> at Wits, W-I-T-Z dot business. Uh, you know, yeah, I, I'd say those are my top three right there for sure. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on Prosper Podcast. Uh, this was a pleasure. We got to do this again. I love this, Maxine. Let's do it again. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Add it up.